Welcome to the Celtics Pride Podcast on Celtics Blog. Uh, it's your host, Josh Motanko, Coach Motanko here, the talent of the show, and this, therefore the self-proclaimed Jason Tatum of the co-host panel. With me, as always, is my twin brother, the more consistent twin, the Jalen Brown of the group, Adam Motanko. Wow, taking over host duties. I hope you can handle it, Josh, and hit these uh, these end-of-the-game shots and not just try and do it all by yourself like Tatum. Step back. And with us, as always, is Mike Minkoff at Mike Minkoff NBA, and he is the Marcus Smart because he's the glue that keeps this whole thing together. Mike, how you doing? I mean, I am undeniably the toughest, grittiest, and heart and soul of this podcast. Um, I think it's really telling of the Motenko uh, bloodline, A, that you self-described yourself as someone you've previously called soft. <laughs> and um <laughs> and that you went with the you know super duper star on the team uh that's just you know we've we've revealed a lot about ourselves this <laughs> the ego is coming out already <laughs> the ego is coming out but we want to throw some shine at some other people too here we're, we're going to do a new thing here where we've got some guests that are coming on we want to highlight some of the special talent we have here at celtics blog and today we have with us a special guest from Celtics blog, from Revenge of the Parquet. He's also the digital editor and team lead at Endgame 360. We've got Cousin Steez at Andrew Doxy here with us. How you doing, Andrew? Hey. I'm good. I'm just a little upset that somebody else is described as a Marcus Smart of anything. Because as the president of the Marcus Smart fan club, uh, I, uh, I don't know, I take exception to that. Well, we need kind of like a fresh voice on the pod. You know, these are the doldrums and the kind of the dog days of the season. So are you okay being like the Kemba Walker of our group today? I do smile a lot. I have heard that. So as long as I'm not the Jeff Teague of the podcast, uh, it's, it's really hard to make me that upset. Perfect. <laughs> yeah, Jeff Teague is not part of this rotation. Yeah. Also, Jeff, if you're listening to this, I'm sorry. Okay, so yeah, I think I'm gonna I'm gonna try and be Robert Williams, just like totally unpredictable. Let's see what happens. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so Andrew, you're from Florida. How did you become a Celtics fan in the first place? So actually, my mom's uh, my mom's side of the family. I mean, both of my parents are Haitian, uh, and they were born in Haiti. But uh, my mom's side of the family uh, moved to New England and in the Boston area. So uh, fast forward to 2010, and my sisters are graduating, and we had a lot of family down, um, and the Celtics were in the Eastern Conference Finals against the Orlando Magic. So I turned on the TV uh, just randomly, had no real dog in the fight, but I just figured, hey, I'll, I'll root for the Boston people because I guess, um, you know, they're winning the game, and my, my mom's family's from there. So even though I'm in Florida, I probably should have rooted for Orlando, but I was just like, uh, I think I like Boston better. So then, actually, in that same game, I saw Rondo dive between Jason Williams' legs. And I don't know, that was just, like, my moment for me, where it just, like, clicked where I was like, hey, basketball is pretty cool. Um, so I, I watched the team for the rest of their playoff run. Uh, I was really sad and distraught when we lost in Game 7. Not, not as much because I wasn't as invested. Um, and from there, I kind of just uh, – I kept going into the next season. But really, it was um, – it was Paul Pierce's game winner against the Knicks the next season um, with four tenths of a second left, Nate Robinson jumping all over him and all that good stuff. Um, <laughs> that was the game. That was the game where I was running like, Shrek. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And that, that was the game where I was like, all right, basketball is pretty tight. So that's when I, I really, like, I started looking on, like, 
ahead on the TV schedule and recording all the Celtics games coming up and all that stuff. So that's when I really like took off as a Celtics fan. It was 2010-11. But really it all started because I just turned on the game at, at a random time and just rooted for the green team for an arbitrary reason. Okay, and then how did that end up turning into you know, a little bit of a career here? How did you get into Celtics blog and, and into the business? Yeah, so I, I guess uh, my type of personality is that when I like when I like something, I really like lean in all the way. I remember when I first started liking basketball, my sisters told my dad because he was kind of concerned how much time I was spending like with anything basketball related, and my sisters were like, "Don't worry, it's just his next phase." But we're here like twelve years later, and I'm still in it, so I don't know. Uh, but I all that's to say that at school I started to become like the 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 NBA guy like I was always like the one like dialed into the Celtics and you know talking about the team and all that stuff and I went to a, a small private school so it, everybody knew me as the Celtics guy um so I had two buddies that they were like hey we should start a we should start a sports blog we'll just write about sports so I was like all right um and the three of us started on it but I was the only one who you know, again, because I started something, I got really into it. I really kept up with it. Uh, and, you know, I got a Twitter, uh, started following a bunch of Celtics people. And, you know, I started tweeting my articles out and all that stuff and publishing myself. On <laughs> Funny enough, the, the name of the site was Sporty Reporty. Um, <laughs> I, I, had a, I had a classmate come up with that name. It was, it was really quirky. But, yeah, we were the sportyreporty.com. It, it was a lot of fun. Anyway, um then there was uh, one of the accounts that I had followed uh, was asking for writers. And so I submitted some of the things I self-published and they really liked it. And, you know, I just kept going from there. And I published something on that new website. Um, and actually, because I previously I had applied to write a Celtics blog, like early on as a fan and whatnot. And um, afterward, uh, this was right around uh, 2017 at the beginning of the season. I wrote something about Marcus Smart. Uh, I had been writing about the entire league, but I decided to write about Smart at that moment. And Jeff Clark, uh, the Celtics box site leader, I found it on Twitter, and he slid into my DMs and Ooh. asked me if I wanted to write for a Celtics box. It was like the coolest moment ever because I was like, I, I, "Hey, why didn't you say this when I when I applied for you guys?" Uh, <laughs> but but it was it was just a cool moment that he slid into my DMs, asked me if I wanted to write. So. That was a uh, that was a really big moment for me, and and I've been working with Celtics Bar for the last four years, yeah, or well three and a half I guess, uh, and it's been it's been a, it's been an amazing journey. I've worked with a lot of really uh, really talented people, and uh, I I'm looking forward to it continuing. So, well, we love the work that you're doing. We you know we're all fans of your articles, um, so we want to have you on the pod, but. You know, to, as of today, let's talk about the squad a little bit. How are you feeling about the team today? Blow it up! I hate everybody. No, I'm just kidding. Um, <laughs> the, you know, it's 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 weird because I really felt um, walking out of the Eastern Conference Finals, um, losing what I felt like was a fluke uh, to Miami. Uh, you know, we lost Hayward, but he wasn't there for the playoff run. Um, and I felt like we added Tristan Thompson, who was kind of, you know, it's not like he was the the bam out of bio stopper, but he's kind of like a more beefy addition to the front court. So I went into the season expecting, you know, maybe a little of a slower start because Kemba wasn't starting uh, the season off with us. But I was expecting to still be like a very clear top four team, you know, along with the, 
Sixers, Nets, and and um, and the Bucks. So I was I was uh, I have been a little surprised over the last month at, at how uh, not cohesive this team has looked, and it it is a little disconcerting. Um, I didn't think that you know that losing Hayward would mean nothing. You know, I'm not one of those people who would you know would not value his contributions, but I didn't think that you know the team would miss so much of his contributions <laughs> because is, his time his time here was kind of up and down you know is that what you uh what will you pin kind of a, a a majority share of the kind of explanation to or for for the team's performance this year or have you have you allocate a portion your own kind of blame pie like or just <laughs> i mean i think i think more more realistically just you know tried to make sense of what the heck is going on this season that I think is definitely fallen short of, of most Celtics fans, uh, expectations or hopes. Yeah. You know, I keep kind of going back and forth on the blame pie aspect because I have like built out like a tree of, of blame, I guess. I think, um, not to, not to name names or point fingers, but I really do think that, um, kind of, uh, Tatum playing like an all NBA player, like right from the start of the season this year, has made it awkward for Kemba Walker because last year the Celtics overperformed because Kemba was playing like out of his, out of his mind, right? He was an all-star. He was named an all-star. Um, he was playing really well. And because Tatum was growing into that role and, and Kemba was, you know, was reliable from night to night, uh, no knee issues. I think the team had a, a clearer pecking order. Um, in February, like, you know, late January, February, uh, it was still kind of like a changing period, but Kemba's role didn't really change. It was just more like, okay, well, Tatum's just going to score more with the chances that he gets. But this year, I feel the offense is a little more different. The ball's in Tatum's hands, kind of like it was in the playoffs and during the playoff run. And, you know, that takes the ball out of Kemba's hands a lot. So I feel like he's still adjusting on the fly. But Kemba not producing the way he did in the last regular season is is a factor. I'm not going to say that's the primary factor, but it definitely is. I also think that Hayward's absence um, leaves kind of a hole on the bench because kind of Smart is stepping into some of Hayward's role, um, but nobody's stepping into Smart's role, which means that there's a, a big hole in the bench that there's really no like reliable contributor outside of Rob. And Rob is not like a scorer or anything, so there's, there's just more of a hole now in the roster than there was before. And I don't think it's like as point. It's it's not as black as white, black and white as Hayward left. There's a hole. I think it's like as people shifted, other holes popped up. If that makes sense. Right. Yeah, I think people are playing kind of out of not out of position, but out of their position in terms of like, who should be the fourth option? Who should be the fifth yeah. option, right? Everyone's kind of slid up one level when Hayward left. And now people are, are a little bit not in the, the perfect fit for themselves. Yeah. I think it's interesting because um, last year, Kemba was really great, like as the primary ball handler and, and he was initiating a lot of the actions, but this year, and, and this was on full display um, yesterday against the magic. I felt like, this was maybe one of the very few, if not the first games where Tatum Brown and uh, Kemba, all three had a good game at the same time. Right. And I feel like 
and this is going to sound biased, but I feel like that was because Smart was the one who initiated a lot of the actions. He was making a lot of the extra passes. And I felt like Kemba got a lot more open looks against the Magic yesterday than he has in recent weeks. And I feel like that's just part of the team's like growth in figuring out the pecking order and who should be doing what. So, so uh, I, I mean, I totally agree with you, Andrew, on, on kind of the, I think we saw this last year a lot as far as the team trying to figure out this pecking order and, and it kind of had it solved for itself a lot of times because one of their kind of, you know, best players was always hurt. Right. It was mm-hmm. like Kemba was down, then Hayward was down, that you know, whatever it was. And so people kind of were able to fit together in a way that kind of worked mm-hmm. over the course of the regular season. Um, and this year, they're definitely still trying to figure out the pecking order. The Orlando example, though, is interesting to me because obviously the team came out of the all star break and let's just say did not look as revitalized as we may have hoped they would have after a week off <laughs> when people were saying yeah. they were tired. They uh, have, we're not playing well back-to-back losses to the Cavaliers and the Kings is not what we were looking for. Um, so, but the Orlando game, like they moved the ball. Great. They got lots of open threes. They, you know, Jalen, what he, he hit 10. Um, the team, I think was second all time in total threes made. But they also got to the line nine times. And so, you know, you're highlighting this as like things look like they were starting to fit better. The ball was moving. Kemba was getting more open shots. But even in a game like that, it leaves me wondering about this team. Do do you like do you have concerns, I guess, about about the the shot profile of this team? Do Do you feel like this Orlando game is? Like how how much how much stock do you put into what we were seeing in that game? Have you been reading my Twitter feed? Because I just thought, <laughs> I just talked about this actually. I felt like uh, I I actually agree with you like 100. Um, percent And it's interesting because I think um, teams usually follow the personality of their top player, and that's why I feel like the Celtics haven't been a good free throw shooting team in like the last several years because Kyrie has never been a free throw hunting guy. Uh, and he was a top guy. And then now Tatum has always, like, he, I mean, I'm, he's not soft. I don't think he's soft. But he doesn't seek contact at the rim. He seeks to avoid it. But you look at, like, the James Harden, you know, you know, you know, you know obviously Harden is a foul-seeking guy. But, you know, all of those guys were getting fouls. <laughs> like, you know, they all started, like, developing some of the same mannerisms and, and how to bait the refs. Like, P.J. Tucker's out here pump-faking into three-point into three uh, fouls and whatever. Yeah. So I, I don't know. I feel like that's part of the identity of the team because that's Tatum's identity. And I know it's something he's trying to work on. Um, but I, I think you made a good point that it's um, it, it, it seemed unsustainable from a shot-making perspective. But what was encouraging was that they were getting easier shots, which has not been the case. The Celtics have it's, – it's actually kind of remarkable, <laughs> you know, this year and also 2018-19. I think the the Celtics have to be the leaders in like most difficult and contested shots, but and, and you know the result of the game typically uh, boils down to how many how many of those difficult shots are they making, um, but the the offense hasn't really been geared to getting them good looks uh, often. 
and you know I, I'm not sure if that's an execution problem or if it's a if it's a game plan problem probably an execution problem but I, that's why I was kind of encouraged against Orlando because even though the shot making was a little unsustainable at least there was more motion and there was more movement right. so that was encouraging um, there was Can a I, lot there were a lot more hockey assists yesterday than I've seen in a long time yeah, yeah. Can I offer a third option? Because you said you're not sure if it's an execution problem or a game plan problem. I, I, I would say, and I, I think this is what you started with as far as the take, taking the profile of best player, but I think it's a team-wide thing. I think it's a personnel issue, Yeah. right? We just yeah. haven't had a foul seeker since IT, yeah, right? right? Like, yep. we just haven't, we haven't had, like, I mean, Marcus Smart, love him. He's a grifter, but he's not that type of grifter. <laughs> yeah. he's, he's, he hasn't he hasn't gotten that part of Kyle Lowry's game yet. He's only got the uh, the the defensive side of the ball down. Um, not yet, not yet. It's not, not yet. Yeah, no. I I think I said on a on a show what one week, two weeks ago that uh, Kyle Lowry is like the optimized version of Marcus Smart. Um, <laughs> uh, so I mean. I would love, and I'm sure Brad Stevens would too, for Danny to get a guy that knows how to draw fouls, and it's just like part of his his makeup. <laughs> yeah, I, I think it sucks because Tatum. I I can see that he's making the effort to try to to draw fouls, but he's already created the reputation for himself that he's not that kind of guy. So the reps are not going to baby him at the rim because that's just not like everybody knows that he's kind of soft going up, you know, into the paint. Yeah. So even when he actually is like foul seeking, he's not getting those calls, which is really frustrating to watch. He's not good at. It. I mean, he doesn't. He doesn't go through the body like he. Yeah. When he tries to, he he always pushes off with his arm, and I I think it's kind of because he's like so lean and, and like the way he's built. I think it's harder for him to get the lower center of gravity and just kind of bulldoze through guys the way like a Jimmy Butler yeah. can, uh, or or Harden who's so stocky. Like you watch those yeah. guys and the way they draw fouls, they're just they're built better for it. But it's also a my like just the the approach to driving and Tatum, uh, he he's got all of the you know he turns his shoulders and he tries to go around and use length of his arms and all of this stuff and it's not. Yeah, he's more yeah, slithery. He's, he's got room for growth. He's more slithery, exactly. Yeah, you know, yeah. and, and I think he... in the playoffs that you know that's that's the real test. Like if you're gonna be a guy who gets the free throw line two, three, four times a game in the regular season, but then in the playoffs, you're really, you know, making that a point of emphasis, and you're getting to the line seven times a game, eight times a game. That's a little different, and so I wonder. I sometimes wonder whether Tatum's saving himself in various ways for the playoffs, and this is kind of no, one of them. You can't be 22 and saving yourself for the playoffs. Unacceptable. <laughs> <laughs> well, I my what I noticed is that I mean he's like like you guys mentioned his body profile. Like he's a very lean guy. But there, I mean, even though Harden's kind of stocky, the way Harden foul seeks is he'll like throw his arms out and try to, you know, find angles to run into people's arms. And I feel like, you know, with Tatum's Inspector Gadget arms, I feel like he could find a way to do that. But he he doesn't have that instinct because it, it is it is a different way of moving. And I think that's something that he it might take time for him to teach himself um, because you kind of do have to to learn to move in that way when previously you just would focus on trying to find an angle to hit the layup. But if you're spouse seeking and you're not really stocky like that, you have to, you know, bait the reps with your arms out and try to like get other people to slap your arm without getting stripped. It's, it's definitely a, a, a tough balance to, to find. 
Tatum could be selling the calls better too. Yeah. He complains. Yeah, probably he, he does sell that I was well. gonna say turn <laughs> strategy. Yeah. All right. Well, we had. Uh, I don't know. It, it, yeah. Let me let me ask you this, Andrew. We you know there's been varying degrees of worry in, in our neighborhood, in our Celtics fan neighborhood, and we had Keith Smith on the pod a couple weeks ago, and he was saying that he's legitimately worried about Tatum and Brown potentially being unhappy and wanting to leave if things continue the way they've been. And I just want to check in with you and other guests that we have to try to balance things out. Maybe. How worried are you at, you know, that, that if things keep going the way they are, that these guys are going to leave? I'm, I'm not, I'm not there yet. <laughs> I'm, I'm not there yet. Uh, because I just hearing, hearing, uh, the way I mean, again, it's just still really early. You know, Tatum's on on deck for at least another four years, or uh, before we can really start to worry about him like forcing his way out or whatever. But I'm not there yet, just because I I do see a lot of accountability in their answers, and I think that like you know when they're talking to the media, like Jalen said the other day that he loses sleep over not leading the team properly, and I don't know when I hear things like that, like it it doesn't sound the same as yeah. like. James Harden saying we don't have enough or you know things like that like it just doesn't strike me the same way because I think they're still young and they know that they're I mean they're not even in their primes yet I feel like they have they know that they have areas to grow in as leaders so I don't think that they're ready to point the blame elsewhere yet I still feel like they're nice young and humble enough to, to kind of look in inward first um at least that's what that's the sense I get mostly from Brown I think Tatum uh just you know, he knows that he he said that he wants to be here long term, get his number retired and whatnot. So if he leaves at what twenty eight, twenty nine, you know that that's probably not gonna happen anywhere. Um, I don't know. I, I feel like I'm I'm still I'm still cool on on their long term status so far. So yeah, you know what I'm what I'm most worried about is is you know the management like getting one of them upset by trading the other. Oh yeah, <laughs> I don't. I don't know if 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 uh, you know Danny were to overreact somehow and to trade Jalen for like not even a, like like a marginal upgrade or something that doesn't get them a championship. I could see uh, Jason getting mad about that because um, I mean they're not like brothers, but I feel like they're they're pretty good friends and they like how they operate on the court together. So I don't know. That, I think that's the only danger that we're really in right now. I like it. So. You know, there, there's obviously you're on Twitter. You're seeing a lot of the negativity. I feel like Celtics fans these days are in this like kind of depressed state right now. And I'm I start to think about it like this pandemic has been really hard. And I wonder like if you were to pull all the Celtics fans, and especially the ones who had negative opinions about this team and were ready to just do anything, whatever it is, trade somebody, fire somebody, just do something. Just I feel like that's their way of of like trying to live through the pandemic and, and that maybe there's a lot going on in their lives that they've been struggling through and they're using their, their team and their fandom to help them get through a tough time. Am I crazy about this? Or do you, do you think that there's a correlation somehow to like people's having a rough time personally and, and the, you know, the extreme negativity or depression that Celtics fans have over, you know, just being 500? Um, I think there's, there's truth in what you said, but if I were to be honest, I feel like this fan base is typically really negative when it comes to a lot of stuff. Like, and, and you know, the kind of, I'm, I'm always the positive guy, uh, 
under most circumstances, I'm the positive guy. I was I was staunchly thinking that Kyrie was going to resign until like they actually announced that he was going to leave. But mm. I'm like the positive guy about everything uh, when it comes to the Celtics. And I, I don't know. I feel like there's no accountability for, for being overly negative. Like people will be like, all right, fire Brad and Kemba's washed. I mean, people last year were saying Kemba's not the answer, blah, 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 blah. And then the Celtics made it to the Eastern Conference Finals. And those same people are like, yeah, let's go, go Celtics. I, I can't believe we're almost at the finals and stuff like that. So it's like, there's no really, there's no accountability there. But it's funny because I'm the positive guy. So if I say something positive and it doesn't work, like I got clowned for the Kyrie stuff for like two weeks straight. <laughs> I, got, I didn't, I didn't even want to log on that summer because everybody was just clowning me for, for holding on to, to the hope that Kyrie was going to stay. So I don't know. It, I just feel like people like to kind of go into the echo chamber of, of how bad everything is and how, you know, Tatum's too soft and Brown is has no playmaking and Smart's shot selection is the worst. Brad Stevens can't coach. And all that stuff, but then they don't offer any like real solutions to it, because um, these jobs are hard. Like Danny, you know, I, I'm starting to get a little annoyed with with the with the you know roster construction and all that stuff, but it's not an easy job at all. So I don't. Know, I try to be more patient when it comes to that stuff. Even if the Celtics, if the Celtics make no moves this deadline, I will be a little annoyed. Um, but you know, as Danny says a lot, which gets him clowned on, but it does take two teams to trade. <laughs> you can't force another team to make a trade with you even if you're being generous like offering four first round picks for justice Winslow, like you can't force the other team to accept you know what would be conceived as a good deal but you are in the one, opinion of of we should we need to do something right yeah yeah i think so because as much as i'm not in panic mode about the jays i just think it's really dumb to lose a year uh, of cost-controlled team building uh, you know, when your all NBA player isn't on an all NBA contract, just because yeah, for nothing. Like I think I mean, tanking would be really stupid at this point. So do you want to just be in the middle? Uh, obviously not. So even a marginal upgrade to the bench would be beneficial because we've seen that this group of guys can make it to the Eastern Conference Finals. You might not be ready to make an earth shattering move to to ensure that they're contenders. But there's no harm right now in making a move that could potentially get them back, you know, into the top four of the Eastern Conference. So, so if if they if they make a move, you're you're all in on uh, on adding on adding quality quality players versus uh, accepting the season as a loss and selling off what they can. Going into to true, re, you know, whatever development mode. You know, it, it's like I said, it's a tough balance because I I think the approach should not be to be like sellers, but I think that the team could potentially upgrade by being sellers if that makes sense, um, both in the long and short run. Um, for example, uh, Aaron Neesmith is not a really great NBA player right now but he is much better than he was in December and he's consistently improving and his skill set could be um, useful in the playoffs if he keeps his growth track. So selling on Shemi Ojale and clearing up more minutes for Neesmith to kind of get a consistent shot might help the team both in the short term and the long term. So I don't know. It's kind of like a nuanced approach to it. Um, so I'm not really kind of taking a hard anti-seller stance, but it's more like 
how how can this team improve in the short and long term? Because I don't think that, you know, leaning into youth is the right move. But I don't think that, you know, having giving them some more consistent shots would be a bad thing. Because I, I, I tweeted this the other day. Like, I, I feel like if some of the rookies had Jeff T's leash, uh, you know, for mistakes and whatnot, we would have much better younger players. <laughs> All right, let's um, let's take a, let's 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 jump on that for a second. Not Jeff Teague specifically, but I just you know, Josh, Adam, and I go. have discussed. No, 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 this is this is <laughs> let's do it. This is short. We have discussed in general, um, trying to make sense of certain uh, rotation decisions from Brad Stevens. So I just want to you know we've got we've got some a new perspective. Can you explain this to us, please? Maybe. <laughs> Can you explain what's going on and just because we don't get it. <laughs> like the Wait. Jeff Teague playing, the insisting on like 12, 12 man rotations uh, for the first like 30 games of the season instead of just like picking and setting and defining roles. Like pick pick your curiosity of the Brad Stevens approach to rotations and explain it to us if you can. <laughs> uh, can I pass? Can I please this? We accept. Darn nah. it! Darn it! <laughs> no, no. I mean, it's uh. I think it just comes down to trust because Brad has always been described as a as a player's coach. He's not one of those. I mean, he is a pretty he is pretty good with X's and O's. But if you have to pick like a box to put Brad in. I think he kind of fits into the players coach where he develops, you know, good bonds with his players and, and they trust him and he trusts them and stuff like that. So that can be good when it comes to um, younger, uh, younger players that they get on his good side and they earn his trust, like Tatum as a rookie, smart as a rookie. Um, he trusted them, you know, his, his leash with them was a little shorter than the others, but they had, a, you know, a, a free reign to, to make mistakes and grow. Um, Even Pritchard this year, right? Like, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, he's 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 had a he's had a longer leash than like he doesn't like he, he doesn't really make that many mistakes. So he's kinda earned that that trust. Um so the the other side of that coin though is um I feel like veteran players get Brad's trust by default. Uh and yeah. I think that can that can kind of affect the team. So Cantor Cantor last year had the, the by default um leash which i mean that well there are different opinions on the canter experience but obviously <laughs> he's performing better this year in a different situation than he did last year but i don't even think i would take this year's version of canter anyway um, you were you were not a, a fan of canter I was not. I, I, I was vaguely, not. I vaguely recall some tweets from you on this front. I think uh, over the course. Some, of last some year. recall those tweets, not even vaguely. So, <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah. So, so I and so I think that's what happened with Jeff Teague this year is that he's a veteran. He's he's a point guard. He's been a point guard in this league for I don't know over ten years. I've never liked his game personally. Hey, Jeff, if you're listening to this, I I sorry. Anyway, I've never really been a big <laughs> fan of, of the aesthetics of his game or whatnot. But he has. Um, he, I don't know. He he just has Brad's trust because Brad has seen him play in other NBA games. So he knows that he was maybe once an All Star or whatever. But if you take the actual on court product, it just is not adding up with what you know the amount the amount of freedom that he's given. Some of it's out of necessity. You know, we didn't have Kemba. Kind of had to play him, I guess. Um, <laughs> I mean, me personally, I wouldn't say that, but I, you know, I understand why you wouldn't want to play smart thirty six minutes a game in, in January, but 
you know, now that everybody's back, if if Pritchard, Smart, and Kemba are all available in a game, and there's just no reason why Teague should, should see the floor, in my opinion. And I feel like we've gotten better results the last two games because of that. The Kings game, you know, it sucks that we lost that game, but at least for the most part, they were, you know, the, the team was pretty okay. Um, mm. They they just fell apart. Agree to disagree. The <laughs> they they were okay. They were not like terrible. Like the Cavs game was terrible, and 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 I I don't know. It just I, I it just maybe this is subjective, but when I see T check in the game, it seems like disaster always ensues. And I wish that like Carson Edwards would have gotten that same opportunity to to fail, because at least with he has the upside of growing from it. So, I don't, I don't know. Okay. That, that's where I feel Neesmith should be in right now. Because when, when, when they drafted Neesmith, they didn't draft the best player available. Like, Danny openly admitted that it was because he fit this roster. And, and in theory, he does. Because the team needed a sharpshooter off the bench after that Miami um, upset. So, in theory, Neesmith should have been ready to play just like Pritchard was. Because they were drafted to come in and, and fit. But it just didn't work out that way. So he's, they should be letting him work through those mistakes instead of playing Tony Ojolai. Do you think that Celtics fans will ever ultimately uh, be able to heal from us taking Neesmith over Sadiq Bay? Yeah, I mean, I, <laughs> the best thing I did to myself... Too early to say? Celtics. A little dramatic? Okay, fine. <laughs> no, I mean, I, the best thing I did to myself as a Celtics fan was stop caring about the draft. Um, because now if I, if a player, uh, you know, we don't pick a player, um, that, you know, everybody else likes, I'm not too broken up about it. (laughs) So I, at this point, now that we have our guys in Tatum and Brown, I'm trying to remove myself from the draft process as much as possible. (laughs) So I don't get mad on draft night. Yeah. One of the things, the ways that Neesmith fit this team really well was that, you know, the culture, he fit right in with the culture, super high academic, intellectual, you know, and, and he's just like a lot of these other guys in, in that he doesn't really have like that dog in him or the, or like enough grit. And it feels like to me, like we're, we're just missing like one more guy, like a Jay Crowder type, like a Marcus Morris type, like someone who, who has some stuff to him and, and isn't going to take anything Morris. from anybody. Marcus Morris. Yeah. Like a, like a, like a Tristan Morris. Thompson type? Please. <laughs> uh, I don't think Tristan Thompson brings that. I think we thought he was going to, but I don't think that his game is actually good enough for it to, for that to matter as much anymore. Yeah, you know, like if he was, wait, wait, was athletic, he, Andrew, Tristan, are you are you a fellow Tristan stan? Okay, I, that's what I was gonna say. I was gonna counter with the fact that uh, Tristan hasn't been as bad as I feel like he's been made out to be. I I don't know. I, if we had to move on from one of the centers. Uh, out of the three, I would move on from Tice. Um, and I, that's not to say I don't like Tice. I love Tice, and I feel like he's very important to the team. But I feel like having Rob and, and Tristan together and then getting like a, an actual power forward or an actual large wing would benefit the team better for balance. But I would be totally comfortable going into the playoffs with Tice Thompson and Rob together because I feel like they all add something to, to the team that the other doesn't have. So, I don't know. I, I, I haven't been as hard on Thompson as others. And I feel like um, after the early season slump, like, you know, in that West Coast road trip when we played the Clippers, I feel like he played, like, he kind of figured it out a little bit. Um, 
and so I I don't know. I feel I feel fine with Thompson. I, yeah, I'm, I'm cool with him. Thompson's. And I, don't I think, think we're going to need him. Yeah, exactly. He's he's going to be fine. His. If his athleticism was like it was three, four years ago, I think that now he's more of an impact guy. Um, yeah. But but with the limited athleticism, he's now just a high motor guy, and his motor is not the same as grit. Mm-hmm. That that to me is the difference. Like Marcus Smart has grit. To me, Tristan Thompson, I don't know if he does. And I and even if Celtics fans and Celtics coaches think he does, I don't know if other players around the league like are afraid of him in any way. You know, whereas like if we bring Jay Crowder back, you know, like not that I'm a, not that I'm supportive of that, but but like that that type of a guy, there's just not many of those around the league, especially those who are available right now. Well, you know, that's I I agree with you. I think um I think it doesn't matter if the other teams are scared of Tristan Thompson. I think it matters more if he can motivate our guys to 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 toughen up. Uh, and I kind of saw that a little bit, like I, I in some of the games where we were kind of getting soft. I did. I, I I've seen him talk to Tatum. I've seen him kind of push Jalen a little bit. And I mean, when that was happening, we were not at below five hundred. <laughs> so uh, I feel like it's gotten worse since he's been out. Um, I don't know. That's that's my take on it. I I I feel like what really matters is if he and Smart together can motivate the guys to not get pushed around. So. I, and I saw somebody mention that that I don't think that King's meltdown would have happened if he was even just on the bench. Hmm. Um, you know, I, I don't know. I, I feel like I feel like when we signed Thompson, I was thrilled because after coming off of that Miami series, I felt like that's what we needed. So, okay, I was I was right there with you. I I made an impassioned defense or argument in favor of Tristan Thompson, particularly to Adam who was a, a resident Tristan skeptic. Um, and then yeah, nice, looked very... That's a nice contract looked, to trade. What looked, looked, That's a nice contract so, to trade right now. Yeah, it, 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 it is. They looked but... very bad for the first 30 or so games. But he's he's come on strong. I, I already mentioned this in a previous pod. And like his last 10 games when he played, our defensive rating was like 102.6. Like genuinely elite defense with him on the court. Rounding into I form. also think he's... He's also say. getting sab- he's getting sabotaged by having to play with Tice. I don't think that's yeah. fair to him because I don't think it's fair or to Tice either. <laughs> yeah, 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 exactly. So I, I think that it, it sucks for everybody that that's the case, which is why I'm cool with getting moving on from Tice because um, he's a free agent anyway. He's going to be priced out of our price range anyway. So you know, let's keep the two cost controlled guys in Tyson in uh, Rob and, and Thompson. And just get like an actual shooting four who can who can play with both of them. Like you get, I'm just throwing out names here, but if if you get you know Barnes or Gordon or you know another big wing, um, they can play with Rob. They can play with Thompson. So you can put either of those guys in the starting lineup, and you know the team doesn't miss a beat. You know what I mean? What like, but you can't, you can't get another what? big. What a segue. All right, so it's time now. <laughs> I, I, can, I can sense it. I can sense it. It's time now to play a game that we're going to call here NBA Would You Rather. I'm going to give you two options, and you have to pick one, okay? Uh-huh. Number one, John Collins or Aaron Gordon? Aaron Gordon. Really? Why? Oh, just straight up. Not even is – wait, is that factoring in, like, the price of, of acquisition? Yeah, it's factoring in everything. Yeah. I, I – I actually have been thinking about this all day, so funny you should ask. 
Yeah, I, I would take Aaron Gordon because um, I don't think John Collins, the price that he would command is enough to make this team significantly better, and especially if it would cost Marcus Smart. And that's not just me as a Smart fan. That's just where that would take us. Like, we are, we are not a John Collins away from the finals if we lose an all-defensive player for a team that's defense is already looking sus this year. Um, Aaron Gordon would not cost Marcus Smart, and you're adding a plus defender. Um, his his shot is um, can be, you know, suspect, but he's a much better catch-and-shoot player than he is a pull-up shooter. He's a terrible pull-up shooter, but is he going to be taking pull-up threes in Boston? I mean, hopefully not, but most likely it would be less frequency than in Orlando. Um, and, and he fits more of the profile of what Gordon Hayward was than John Collins does. Plus, John Collins overlaps a lot with what we like out of Rob, and I don't think him and Rob would fit as well as uh, Aaron Gordon and Rob long-term. Josh, what well, do you think of that? And yeah, I mean, I, I strongly disagree. I feel like we're, <laughs> we're not going to trade Marcus Smart for either of these dudes. Uh, if we do, yeah. we're not making the deal. So let's assume it's a combination of, you know, Langford, Neesmith, Pritchard, you know, those types of young guys and picks and future picks, which in my opinion uh-huh. is probably too much, too many future picks to give up to want either of these guys. But between the two of them, Collins is in year two of shooting 40% from three in a row. Gordon's only done that just this year, you know, 30, 40 game sample size. So, and, and I just think Aaron Gordon, the things he doesn't do well, it's because of lack of effort and focus. And maybe you could say the same for John Collins, but I just, I, I've never liked Aaron Gordon's defense. I've always felt like he was like number one on my list of biggest teases who doesn't really, you know, do anything. Um, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Gordon well, here's the thing. Defender. I, yeah, he is. John Collins is not a good defender, but my Gordon, thing with yeah. with the John Collins stuff is that 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 comment that fake trade that you just mentioned might be enough to get Aaron Gordon, but that's not enough to get John Collins, which is why I don't even consider it really because I don't think the Hawks are going to take Neesmith Grant and and all that. So Langford. a shame a sh- a shameless plug. Just shortly before we started recording this uh, podcast on on a Monday evening, it's going for a day. I put a tw- poll on Twitter that's live uh, when people are listening. Um, Asking like which trade action would would Celtics fans prefer the Celtics do at the deadline? So option one is Marcus Smart and Romeo Langford and two firsts for Collins. Option Ooh. two is Romeo Langford and two firsts for Aaron Gordon. Option yep. three is Romeo Langford and two firsts for Harrison Barnes. And option four is do nothing. So uh, the, the, we've we've got some results already coming in. I won't I won't skew I won't bias the sample here, but uh. Would would love listeners to kind of check out <laughs> check out that poll and weigh in uh, at Celtics Pride Pod on Twitter. Yeah, right. that's um that's a that's a good question. I think I would. Um, well, am, am I allowed to to buy it? To yeah, yeah, you or? you can go okay. for it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Live live respond um, here. I, I'm gonna tell you, it's not the first option. <laughs> Um, can can you run Not through the, the last two? It was yep. It was then it was Romeo Langford and two first for uh, Aaron Gordon, or Romeo Langford and two first for Harrison Barnes. So the same deal, just the the two different guys. And then the last option was do nothing. I talked myself out of Harrison Barnes because of the you know all the reports that the Kings are probably not going to be smart to trade him. Because uh, when have the Kings ever done the right thing? So I I would probably go for the for the Gordon <laughs> trade. Um, yeah, I mean, 
two first, I feel like it's really steep though. <laughs> like I, I'm, I would, I would heavily protect that second first, um, to the point where it's like basically a second rounder. But I, I don't know. If, I don't know if that's you know, I don't know. We'll see. But I, I do feel like there's enough on our roster to help a, a rebuilding Orlando. You know, somewhere in there, there's a there's a working trade. It obviously wouldn't include Smart, and I just feel like that, that like like I feel like trading Smart for Collins, which I think is what it would take, is kind of like a two steps forward, you know, one point seven five steps back kind of move. And at that point, is it is it worth that half, you know, that you know quarter step ahead, um, you know, at at such a more expensive price? But I think with Gordon, you can probably get that at a at a price that wouldn't make it take any steps back. So there's what that. if you're also what if in addition to Collins you're also getting Bogdanovich? That's to me I feel like that's just it's not realistic. Um and I don't think any of these I don't think any of these trades are gonna end up happening because none of like the Celtics never leaked their stuff on. I would say not never, rarely. But I don't know. I just don't see I don't see that one happening. Um if that if that were on the table I, I don't know if I would even like that. And I really wanted Bogdanovich over the summer. I really did. Um, I was thinking that he would just fit perfectly into that, that Hayward role if we could, you know, swing a sign and, a sign and trade. But I just, um, I don't know if I want four years, 72 million of, I mean, well, I guess three years at, at the, at, you know, at that point, um, plus a, a, a max or a near max for John Collins. And then Kemba Walker on top of it, like I don't know, it just doesn't seem sustainable for a team building. And then also it's a lot, a lot of salary invested in bad defense. <laughs> yeah, that's exactly what I was gonna say right now. It's like we're trading away our best defender to to basically be like thirtieth in defensive rating. And at that point, like I, that's when I kind of weigh the cost versus reward, and I just I just don't see it. I don't I don't I I think Collins is a great young player. I just don't see how he works for this roster. Okay, next question. NBA, would you rather Romeo Langford or Aaron Neesmith? <laughs> you got to pick one. Ah, uh, dang. I, does Romeo Langford even exist at this point? <laughs> like, <laughs> Romeo, uh, Romeo uh, Langford uh, is our Gordon Hayward insurance, and Aaron Neesmith <laughs> is our Romeo Langford insurance. <laughs> well, in that case, based on what I've seen this year, Neesmith, Okay. Uh, next one: Grant Williams um, or Shemi Ojale? Grant. Really? Why? He only one of them was on the floor in Game Seven against Toronto. So I don't okay. know. That that's that's a really dumb. That's that's not a good I like indication that. at all. No, I mean I think it's kind of dumb that I said just that, but um, I like uh, I like Grant's skill set more. I think Grant has a mental block right now that's preventing him from being more consistent and being more the player that we saw last year. I don't know what that block, I don't know the origin of that block, but I'm hoping he can get over it. Cause honestly, if Grant was more reliable, he, he would make the, the big man rotation a lot easier because he could play with Tristan or with Rob um, or with Tice, which would kind of make the rotation a little easier, but he's just not playing well enough to justify those minutes consistently um but yeah i mean i, I would probably take grant because he has a better skill set for i mean every every team needs a player like that after draymond green made it popular so yeah i'd take grant 
Okay, this is the hardest one of them all. Tatum or I'm not going to answer it. I'm not going to answer it. I'm not going to answer it. I'm not going to Tatum. <laughs> Tatum so over Brown. You're, you're picking Josh over Adam. That's exactly. what I'm hearing. That's what this is really about. <laughs> Which hey, twin? Hey, Josh, Josh is the one who slacked me about this. So, you know, I had to, to stick with Josh. Hey. Um, yeah, I picked Tatum. Okay, the, my co-hosts want me to ask you about Marvin Bagley. So this one's Marvin Bagley or nah? <laughs> nah. <laughs> nah. nah, me too. Yeah, you know what's funny? I'm I'm actually this is probably gonna make uh make people like me even less, but I actually am a Duke fan. Um That's okay. I, you know, recently I, I I've watched college basketball less and less, like I mentioned to you, because that's just better as my as a Celtics fan. But um I remember I didn't really I don't know, I I, I never really felt all in on, on Bagley. <laughs> Never, never was there with him. I don't know. It's some, some, some's not, some not it for me. It's not. Yeah. Okay. I, I don't. I don't know what. What? He, what even is he in the NBA? Like he just doesn't fit us. He's not. He's like one of those tweeners. But like I don't know. Kind of. He's not a. He's not a center. Like he doesn't fit the profile of the center. And in, in in any sense, even as a stretch center, because he doesn't yeah, stretch he's, the floor. He's like a modern a modern day Greg Monroe, and that's not a good thing. Yeah. Yeah, actually, yeah, like, he's just like a he's a skinny Greg Monroe. Yeah, yeah, he's um, an offensive but, but player. He's a scorer. Josh, I'm not going to let you off the hook. You were so excited about the prospect of Marvin Bagley becoming available sooner than people might think about one year ago. You can't you can't just pass it off like you weren't excited about him as a prospect recently. Oh, I was excited yeah, he, about Marvin Bagley. I was really excited when he dominated the Drew League as like an 18 year old. And to me, that was <laughs> yeah. like that was like something that that, that showed that he was going to be able to to translate to the next level, right? If he's already taken on grown men and being successful, and just some of these guys when they make it to the league, like they're getting the paycheck, and and it's like they're they can relax now, you know, because the lifelong yeah. dream has finally happened, and it's like it feels like that's exactly what happened with Marvin Bagley because he always was an offensive scorer type player and and never really going to kind of grind on defense and now that he's in the nba like and he's a top pick so he's gonna get playing time anyway like why would he why would he do that why would he change now you know and so to me the best thing for him would be to go to another type of organization and in the right organization i think that he you know can be coached and coached out of that and coached into into being uh the player that will reach his potential but i'm i'm definitely down on him now you know yeah, I mean, I think, I think on... that's reasonable. I think it's reasonable because if you, if a player is bad after his second year, you know, it's like okay, well, maybe maybe he'll figure it out this next year. But I mean, if he keeps being bad, I would I would sell my stock too. The rumor on Bagley is that he was offered to Detroit for Sadiq Bay, and Sacramento got turned down. <laughs> so if you believe that the price is is low, I'm still intrigued. It's certainly not a solution for this season, but especially because he's out right now. Do you think weirdly center is like the one? one position we don't need <laughs> yeah <laughs> ironically after all of last year all right drew you have successfully you successfully completed the nba would you rather uh, so congratulations to you this last question for you is more of a personal question before we let you go it says on linkedin that back in the day you worked at enterprise rent-a-car for over a year <laughs> This is yeah, a two-part question, okay? No, I'm just joking. Was this your least glamorous job ever? No, <laughs> no. You would you would think you would think. Tell no, us the story. 
<laughs> my first, 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 first job. I, well, just a little backstory. I don't know. I told, I always told myself that I didn't want to work in food and I didn't want to work in retail. So that kind of limited my options. <laughs> um, so my first job, uh, I got it because a friend was working there. Um, it was actually healthcare laundry. Whoa. So, so that, that was not sound great. That does not yeah, sound not great. Into details. <laughs> yeah. Well, no. Let me tell you. Exactly You've seen what some stuff. About. I've seen some things. I've smelled some things. But we would basically we would get dirty. That's laundry the quote from... for the episode, Josh. <laughs> <laughs> I've smelled some things. I've seen some things. I've seen some things. I've smelled some things. I've smelled some things. Because <laughs> look, man, you get all the dirty laundry from these hospitals and clinics. It would come in. We'd have to sort the dirty laundry, which is easily the worst part because we were in like this kind of warehouse setting and we had to put on this protective gear because you know some of them were coming from hospice so it was not it was it was really gross and stuffy so you'd sort all that and then the clothes would get washed and then there were different machines for like folding the different um the different like types of uh you know articles of clothing uh so you would have to like inspect for stains and then put them through the machine and wrap them up and send them back out so it was just it was a grind it was not fun. I hated every second of it. Enterprise was like a relief coming from that. And then, you know, spending a year at Enterprise, then I started to feel the grind of Enterprise. So, and I wasn't even like an associate or anything. I was literally just cleaning cars. Like that was my job at Enterprise. So, yeah, but I'm guessing they loved you. They loved your your positivity, your Kemba Walkerness. <laughs> you know, this guy. If you guys don't know, this guy's magna cum laude and Dean's List all four years. He's this guy's. Everybody loves this guy, Drew Doxy. Man, I, that's not on my LinkedIn for sure. Well, we appreciate you having us on. Um, should we go into our least glamorous jobs on this pod, or should we save that for another one? Actually, I would like to hear it because I'm not the only one who's going to spill today. Okay. Uh, well, I'll go first. You guys can I'll give you and Adam and Mike some time to think about yours. Uh, my least glamorous job was as a busboy. Uh, in Senna Haba, New Hampshire. Shout out to Checkers Harbor Restaurant. I was like a 15-year-old, like super hardworking busboy cleaning all the tables like in the hot summer, like sweating on all the dishes, all the dirty dishes, just trying to work Aww. as hard as possible. Um, and that was just a brutal job. You know, didn't get yeah. many tips from the waitresses. Um, that was the thing I looked forward to the most about Enterprise um, was just finding like one rich old couple or whatever and like making them laugh a little bit and then them giving me a tip. That was like the best part of my job. <laughs> Actually, no, that's uh, not my least glamorous job. My least glamorous job one summer, I worked for Greenpeace and that was brutal trying to get people to give yeah. their credit like card donations. you like a block donations. walker? Yeah, I was. Oh <laughs> uh, man, like a canvasser? You were I was canvassing? canvassing the street. And, and this was like uh, later. I was, I was like 28 or something. This is when I first started in college basketball. And I was back home for the summer recruiting and trying to just put a little pocket money in. And so I wasn't like some teenager doing this. I was like late <laughs> 20s, you know, succumbing to just doing this. And we had a, <laughs> we had a green like top hat in the office like as part of some costume and i turned this I, I turned my whole you know we would be trained on talking about this story about the coal mine and the community and how they're devastating the community <laughs> you know, like all these different storylines that we were supposed to pitch to pull their heartstrings and get their credit cards out and i just turned it into a comedy routine i put the top hat on i said i walked around the street saying the 
the leprechauns are dry, dying. Save the leprechauns. <laughs> and uh, got a lot of people Motan- to stop. The, br- the brothers Motankos are redheads. Uh, <laughs> oh, okay. Yeah, there's that part too. I'm a redhead with a green hat on talking about the leprechauns are dying. And some people yeah. thought it was serious and would stop and, and question it. And um, my bosses didn't like that. I quit a few weeks, a few weeks later. <laughs> hey, I don't know. To, to me, you sound like employee of the month, but I guess they yeah. had a different opinion. I thought so. Uh, yeah sure uh i have a couple options running through my head uh i was a a sub delivery driver for a couple years in college um not not no two exciting stories except you know i went to i went to school at university of wisconsin so you've got you know you work a friday night or saturday night until three in the morning you're trying to deliver subs and go through throngs of drunk like people from you know egg the bar is just watching drunk people drive in front of you uh well it's a green light uh the inner bostonian comes out um yeah some some uh, pretty pretty unfavorable temp jobs uh installing phones through brandeis university mm. like cisco cisco telephones <laughs> across campus yeah. one summer uh you know a real classy temp job and uh you know, uh, I yeah, I did, this, I did. This, oh. the sub job is, is is sneaky tough just because you have to be around food all the time, but you can't eat it. Oh uh, yeah, like, but I did tough. get discounted subs. I did get discounted subs, oh, okay. so that was pretty nice, you know. And as a college right. student, I was I was into that, and that was before I <laughs> started making some at least modest improvements in my dietary choices. So, um, <laughs> so I was all about that. Uh, and then I did have a job that required me to do block walk, not canvassing. But I had to go like block walk, uh, you know, to to storefronts and try to kind of sell sell the stores on kind of the products my my company was offering. It was like doing small business loans. So that that was not fun. I was not into that at all. That was that was okay. the worst. It's like, yeah, let me let me convince you why these kind of high interest rates are exciting and good for you. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'm sure I'm sure that was a that was an easy sell for for you, right? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, they're all <laughs> character building experiences. That's what it really came down to. <laughs> Adam, what about you, Adam? Uh, uh, yeah, I used to work at a supermarket over the summers in high school, and I, one year I worked in the produce department, and I was given the task of going through boxes of cherries to pick out the rotten ones and <laughs> save the good ones. Yeah. <laughs> it, it was disgusting. people people will underrate the monotony of that job but i'm sure that must have like grinded your gears every day to to have to go in and do that (laughs) that's tough all right you can find him at andrew doxy on twitter or at celtics blog andrew is there anything that you'd like to plug before we let you go uh no i just everybody you know visit the blog we always have good content um trade deadlines coming up so Keep it locked on Celtics blog. Uh, come, keep checking back for news, our reaction to the news, because I'm sure you all have your road uh, alerts on. So, you know, come find out what we have to say about it. All right, reactions. Yeah, Andrew Doxy, that was great. Started from the laundry. Now he's here on our podcast and writing for Celtics blog. Um, I, I thought what he that was really interesting. That just main reaction I have is the, the John Collins, Aaron Gordon stuff. Surprising that he chose Aaron Gordon. Um, I've been thinking a lot about those two today with all the, the trade rumors related to that. I agree that 
Uh, it sounds like Marcus Smart would need to be included for the John Collins deal. And, and the big thing there, as we've talked about before, is the, the restricted free agency and the expectation that he could get a max contract, should get an offer close to that, because um, basically he's the best, he might be the best free agent right now. I know RFAs are tough to sign. Mm-hmm. Atlanta could match. Atlanta's also playing really well. Uh, they started winning since these rumors came out uh, about Collins being traded. So that's going to increase the price on him. Um, and Aaron, so Aaron Gordon, a lot cheaper. Um, I'm seeing different ideas about how much he would cost, but it's like a young player and a pick sort of a thing. I think Keith Smith tweeted that out earlier today. Um, so depending on how Orlando values our young players and the protections on that pick, he's much more gettable. I think Collins is a far better shooter um, Josh, you talked about that. I think that's totally accurate. Aaron Gordon is a better defender. He can switch on um, more of the bully wings that we need to defend in this league. Um, I, he's definitely a better one-on-one defender than he is team defender. He definitely has mental lapses, but I think that kind of a thing might be corrected in this system with guys like Marcus Smart on the team, uh, with Brad Stevens as the coach. So, and and he's got another year on his contract too, um, and I was reading somewhere that about the price that he may be expecting for an extension. It sounds like um, other teams interested in Aaron Gordon are also interested in talking to him about an extension, which he may not be willing to do. It, there was uh, a suggestion on Twitter that the Celtics might not be as likely to need that extension. Uh, he has one more year on his contract. And then after that, he's going to be probably expecting mid to high 20s per year. Um, so, But at least we have flexibility there. Uh, and his bird rights. Just just a note on the shooting. Um, so this jumped out at me during the broadcast against Orlando. So super weirdly, um, Aaron Gordon is shooting 40% from three this season, uh, though he's making the same overall field goal percent, 44% that he has for his career, which is 44.8%. But his career uh, three-point field goal percentage is 325 by contrast, John Collins is shooting uh, a little over uh, 37%, almost 38% from three this year. Um, shot 37% for his career from three so far. Um, so, you know, definitely a more consistent uh, and better bet that John Collins will be the better shooter. Um, yeah, John Collins also a much that. better a much better free throw shooter than exactly. uh, than Aaron Gordon, who you know. John Collins shoots almost 85%. Aaron Gordon shoots like 62% this year from the free throw line. Uh, but, you know, Aaron Gordon, as you said, better defender and a better passer. Um, and uh, let's see. I don't think either of them are but Gordon, great he can, rebounders. Gordon, he's a good passer when he's looking to pass. And he, he has a lot of – Aaron Gordon has a lot of trouble trying to score and then passing out of that. He can't do the two things at once. Yeah, I, both of these guys are going to be different players once they get into a better, more well-run organization with better coaching. They're both going to be coached out of their, uh, you know, their lapse, mental lapses and focus issues and, thing, and effort plays and stuff like that. Um, I think that there's hope for both of them in that regard, and that's why I kind of lean on the shooting percentages as the difference maker for me. Yeah, I think that's fair. Um, but I do think I do think the the you know I what was it? I think it was before last season I kind of came out saying Aaron Gar- Gordon would be like a, a dream target 
Um, I've cooled on that stance in the in the time since, but I do think his ability to defend, like legitimately defend a guy like a LeBron, like he he is a rare mix of athleticism and strength and size um, that you could credibly put on wings of that size in a way that nobody on our roster quite can. Uh, even even someone like Jalen. Um, so that that is really intriguing to me. But but I do think you get some some clear limitations. Uh, both guys are really young. Um, and, you know, per prior conver- uh, just episodes, I'm at least hardened to know that and not really surprised that despite everything Danny has said publicly in recent interviews, uh, the Celtics are aggressively looking into guys that would make sense to target under those circumstances. Okay, well, the Celtics are on a four-game road trip. Uh, I don't believe, Josh, you've been looking at the, the Memphis Grizzlies game is, is tonight. Yeah, we're recording this on Monday before the Grizzlies game. Uh, we got 30 games left this season, no Kemba in Memphis. And so this week is really all about these two games in Milwaukee, both away. Um, and, you know, Wednesday and Friday, this Milwaukee team has won like 11 of their last 12 games, including a win against the first place Sixers, uh, albeit without Embiid. Uh, but these games could either separate us from the pack that we're in right now with the Hawks, Heat, Knicks, Hornets, Pacers, Bulls even, you know, or it could kind of solidify us in that group. Um, and then we got the trade deadline coming up Thursday at 3 p.m. Eastern. So there's a chance, I think, if Ainge swings the deal, that we could see whoever we add in uniform at the next game on uh, Thursday. Sorry, on Saturday night. Not Friday. Oh, you think you think after the second Bucks game? Yeah, I think after the second Bucks game, like in in Oklahoma City, I think that's when we could see our first new player if there is a trade made. If there is one. Uh, yeah. And again, that's another second night of a back-to-back so Kemba will be out and we can't take the Oklahoma City Thunder lightly you know obviously they seem like they're one of the worst teams in the league but they're 18 and 24 that's not much worse than we are um so yeah just uh, I mean this just to put a put an exclamation point on it this week is huge for the Celtics yeah. they're bad on the road they're bad on the second night of back-to-backs this uh, and and then they're bad against teams that are over 500. So <laughs> uh, or like playoff teams. So they're going back to back tonight. Uh, second game of back to back on the road against Memphis. Ominous start. Two games on the road against Milwaukee. Not a good sign. <laughs> then another back to back against um, Friday. You know Saturday on the road against OKC. It is possible that we lose these next four games just solely based on how the team has performed under the circumstances of each of these games um and obviously if we did uh that would put celtics fans uh into a tizzy certainly it would put me into a tizzy and i would continue to be tweeting at you josh trying to get you to explain to me why i shouldn't be worried which i notice you still have not replied to (laughs) i can do that right now if you'd like after the after the Cavs and kings games sure tell explain to me why i shouldn't have been worried (laughs) so uh, you know the people who are stuck in negativity um you know i'm trying to to provide some light to get you out of that but if you want to stay there there's nothing that I can do to, to, you know, to get you out of this negativity. It's not a great season. It's not a terrible season either. 
right? And, and to me, this is like, I mean, I'm a former JUCO coach. This is like a JUCO season where if you've got the team full of like higher academic or like more team chemistry oriented guys, like off the court, your team is really connected, then you're going to be more together later in the season. And that's when it matters. And everything else is just, let's make sure there's no blow ups. Let's make sure that there's no crazy things that happen, no major injuries, and just get to the end of the season still together. Whereas other teams are, are you're going to see them splintering either chemistry-wise or you're going to see injuries like we're seeing with the Lakers right now that are pretty debilitating. You know, that Lakers team could fall three or four spots in the, in the playoffs just from having their two main guys out. Um, so it, it's, it's, maybe that's not the answer you're looking for, but maybe there's no answer that would help people who are super negative all the time. <laughs> I don't consider myself super negative all the time. Just realistic. That's, just about the know, Celtics. This... This season is clearly a disappointment uh, to this point. So far, so far. Well, let's see what happens. We'll see what happens. All right, everyone. Thanks for listening. Remember to rate, review, and subscribe this pod to this podcast. Follow us on Twitter at Celtics Pride Pod or individually at Mike Minkoff NBA and at Coach Motenko. 